Hey, everybody. <clears throat> it's good to be back. Um, it's good to see your faces. I have missed you all. If you're new to Midtown, I'm just one of the preachers here. And uh, I'm getting to fill in for Gary. And it has been an amazing last two months since you last saw me. I have, I have stuck my toes in sand in two different countries. I have enjoyed a lot of rest, and, but also a lot of dreaming and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment, but right now I'm here to kick off our Advent because I told Gary there ain't no way I'm preaching Revelation. So, <laughs> so we're in our Advent season, and if you're new to church and you may be wondering, well, what is Advent? Well, it's, it's, it's a Latin word that talks about arrival or uh, getting here or someone is coming. And so Maybe to help you understand, as the church, we spend this holiday season looking back at the manger, you know, the wise men, the drummer boys, those guys. Like we're spending a lot of time looking back, but Advent is about what's coming. And so when Jesus came, uh, he was God and man both. He was uh, born into this world. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, he said, I'm coming back. And we're waiting for that return. So we're living in between this time of what Jesus has already accomplished and what Jesus is going to accomplish for us in the future. And so as a church, we kind of live our lives a little bit backwards because we're backing into the future with our eyes on what Jesus has done and on the promises of Jesus, what he's accomplished, and confidence in that place we're backing into the future. Does that make sense? That's the Advent. And we have lit uh, the hope candle. So we're going to start our Advent season talking about hope. So let me ask you a question. Are you hopey? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about like, are you happy? Are you hopey? Are you a person that's hopeful? And I bet if we went around the room, people would say, I guess, I don't know. I mean, maybe, because hope isn't literally something that I do like when I go to the gym and I work out. Hope is like something that just kind of happens to me. Like, you know, I breathe, you know, I just kind of get through my day and sometimes I feel, you know, hopey. Sometimes I don't feel hopey. But what I want to ask you is, are you a person that builds your life on the foundation of hope? In other words, are you the kind of person that views yourself, you view your life, you view your money, you review your relationships, you, you view your sexuality, you view your future on hope? Are you aggressively, greedily, ambitiously, lustfully, violently demanding that every part of your life be built on hope. <laughs> Let me say that again, because I just loved writing that. All right, so I get to read it again. Do you aggressively, greedily, ambitiously, lustfully, violently demand that every part of your life be built on hope? And I got to tell you, I don't. Because let me, I, I got to let you in a little secret. Uh, Hope has been the source of so much pain in my life, so much disappointment in my life, so much discouragement in my life. Hope is like that knife that just kind of stabs you in the heart. Like, let me give you an example. Are you a Titan fan? <laughs> Who do they play today? Who? Uh, the Panthers. Are the Panthers good? No. Are we going to win? No. See, that's what I'm talking about. 
I got to tell you that I, I have so many hopes that have been dashed, so many hopes that have been crushed, so many hopes that have been destroyed. And I even have hopes that I don't know that I have hope and they get destroyed. So one of the things that I said to my wife, Renee, when we transitioned out of being the lead pastor here and I had some weekends free, I said, we're going to do what we've never been able to do. She graduated from LSU. And I said, I'm going to take you back to an LSU football night game, which she hasn't done since she graduated from college just like 10 years ago. All right. So Maggie and Travis jumped in the car with us and we went down to watch them play the Florida Gators, you know? Uh, and I got to tell you, it was insane. I mean, I, I'm not saying like SEC football is crazy. I'm saying LSU is a whole different thing. Like it's like a hundred thousand people that are out of their mind speaking in Cajun accents that you can't understand a word they're saying. Like we go, I mean, the seafood is unbelievable. The accents, the culture, everything. It's like a different world. It's like walking into a third world country in America. That sounded bad, didn't it? I'm not going to say, I'm not going to distract that. I'm sorry. Okay. But we get down there and, you know, you're standing out there in the game, you know, all the fans and we're waiting for the players to come in and the band comes in. And you feel the music just hitting your chest and you're like, oh, this is intoxicating. And then, you know, they're coming through. Everybody's pumped and you go into the stadium and it was a great time. And did you know, did you know that Garth Brooks wrote a song about Baton Rouge? If you did not know that, then if you went to an LSU game, you could not miss it because they play it like a thousand times. And everybody in the stadium knows every word to that song. I knew nothing. All I know is you mumble until he sings the word Baton Rouge, you know? It was a lot of fun. We had a blast. I'm driving home and I find myself as we're driving home getting melancholy and getting kind of sad. I'm like, what's going on? It took me like two days to realize what is happening with me. See, my little brother is a big LSU fan. He has season tickets. He used to work for LSU's athletic department. He met us there with his wife and you know, just the whole, he, they go to every game. So we kind of experienced the game with him. And it took me a couple of days to realize that I had a hope. I love my little brother. Uh, and he is a man that I so admired. And his daughter's getting married in three weeks. And I had gone through this transition in September. And I was hoping for time to sit with him and just go, brother, I want to show you my heart. And I want to see your heart. We got none of that time. And I didn't realize until we got back home. And I was back home for two days. And I was just kind of angry and just kicking the can down the road, like, what's going on? I realized I had a hope that was not realized and it was crushing my heart. Do you ever do that? I mean, I got all kinds of hopes. I had hoped that marriage would be easy. Yeah, some of you are laughing. All you married people. Or at least easier. I had hoped that there would be more money in my bank account by now. I had hoped that I would be smarter, stronger, cooler, more talented, better looking. I had hoped, and you know, you know what I'm talking about, you'd hoped that your job would be doing more for you than what it's doing for you right now. You kind of hope, and we bring those hopes, like we bring, we back the truck up and unload them during the holidays, you know? How about this hope? You hope that your mother doesn't drink this holiday. Or that you hope that your brother doesn't bring that crazy girl he's dating that you met this summer. 
or you hope that your kids are grateful or that you hope that maybe your family's going to appreciate all the things that you've done for them and they would see it and actually honor you. Disappointment, despair, discouragement. You remember Shawshank Redemption when Red looked at Andy. What was Andy's last name? I just like hearing y'all say it, Dufresne. And he said, Andy hopes a dangerous thing in Shawshank. It can drive a man insane. And it can. So why are we talking about it? Why don't we just run away from it? Because hope even does, let's get worse. It creates expectations. And man, expectations are the relationship killer. Like expectations that you've spoke, but nobody seems to care. Or expectations that you don't speak, but you just think everybody should know. <laughs> Those are great, aren't they? They're just silent killers, you know? Or the expectations you didn't even know that you had. If it's so difficult, why are we going to talk about it? Because it's so misunderstood. And it, we're going to reclaim it today. As we go into the holidays, we're going to reclaim what hope is. So I'm going to talk about three things. In just the next few minutes, we're going to talk about what hope really is, why it's so important, and how do we get more? And that, that last part's important because here's what I want you to just take a note of. Hope is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. That may surprise you. See, the Holy Spirit gives us a lot of stuff. The fruits of the Holy Spirit, redemption, new life in Christ. He gives us a lot of things. And then he invites us to take these things that he has given us and then bring hope. Like hope is our responsibility. Hope is the thing that we now bring to the party that we labor for, we fight for, and we pour into our lives. And hopefully I can show you that from scripture. But it's something that we invest in. When we were at LSU, uh, you know what shocked me is that people drink at college football games. Did you know this? And I'm not like, I'm not talking like drinking with your pinky out. I'm talking about like serious drinking. And so before we even get to the game, you know, the, the masses are going to the stadium and there are people just falling all over the place because they've been drinking all day. It's a night game, you know? And you realize when you see somebody stumbling over themselves, boy, you spent a lot of time getting ready for this moment. Like you planned to be here, you bought a ticket, like you went out and you bought a bunch of alcohol and then you spent a lot of time pouring that alcohol into your body. Some of them were so eager to get it into their body, they had these funnel things where they were, I'm serious, I, I saw it in real life, right? They invested with intensity, violence, aggressiveness into their drunken state. And I'm challenging you, church, what we're about to talk about. Do the same with hope. Plan for it, invest in it, put money into it, put time into it. Make it a reality in your life because Jesus has given you the power to do that. You ready? I've already lost you? Okay. I think we have a reader today. Yes. Corey, so good to see you. Yeah, and she's going to be uh, in a book called Micah. Now let me set this up. And then after you read the Micah passage, I'll have you pause. Because for us to understand what we're going to talk about today, we got to go back to this very obscure book in the Old Testament. We're digging deep into the Old Testament. And let me tell you what's happened. Micah's a prophet, and he's come to tell the Israelites that, one, you have forgotten who God is. He is the great promise maker, and he's the promise keeper. You have forgotten who you are. You were made to display the glory of God, and you have forgotten what he's called you to do which is to worship him and then live out of the reality of God's kingdom into the world today. 
So when people came to Israel, they would be getting a taste of the kingdom of God in the way that they treat the poor, in the way that they treat, treat the marginalized. But instead, they'd forgotten who God is, they forgot who they were, and they were actually taking advantage of the poor and the marginalized and the aliens in their community. So God said to them, I'm bringing judgment through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And this is not going to be good. Like they're going to come in and they're going to wreak havoc on you to call you back to me. But in the midst of this dark book where the storms are coming, prepare yourself, there's hope. And that's what we're about to read. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, <laughs> though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress." Okay, so Courtney, thank you. So what he's saying there is, I know this is dark, this is bad, but there is one that is coming. And when this one comes, he's gonna change everything. And the way he's gonna change everything is he's gonna be the shepherd of the sheep. Now the question is, who is this one that is the hope in this very dark time? And Matthew tells us. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will, become, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Keep going. Oh. No, that's good. Are you reading the last part of that nope. quote? It, it said stop at six. There Do you, you want me Thank to read you. the last No, part? that's perfect. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we pray that, uh, and thank you that you're the promise maker and the promise keeper. We thank you, Father, that um, the promise that you give us today is that when we read your word and we speak your name, that, Lord, you do marvelous things. And so, Lord, just give us the courage not to fight against you, uh, but to receive and to celebrate what your spirit's doing in this room right now. In Christ's name, amen. So Jesus is the promised hope of Israel that a shepherd is going to come, a shepherd that is going to shepherd the sheep. And here's what's remarkable about this shepherd. Because the Israelites were being disciplined because they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't worship God the way that God deserves to be worshipped. They couldn't remember who they were, and they couldn't live out what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus didn't come to say to them, here, I'm going to show you how to do this. He did do it perfectly, but he wasn't doing it so he could show us how to do this. He was doing it so that he could go to the cross and then give us what he's doing. Now, what I mean by that is, one way to put it is, Jesus didn't come to show us the way, Jesus came to be the way. See, 
In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, you may come to church a lot and you've seen the cross and you're like, you've heard about the cross, that Jesus went to the cross to take away the sins of the world and he took your sins away. Yeah, that's what Jesus came to do. But when he rose again with newness of life, he came to do something that you seldom hear about was he came to give you life. He came to call us from death to life. That's why the church talks a lot about being born again, that we were in death and we've been born into life, which means our spirits for the first time in our lives are made alive because of the work of Christ. And now that our spirit is alive, it has communion with the spirit of God. And here's what's crazy is when the spirit of God comes into us and makes us alive, it rearranges the categories. For example, like <clears throat> I was sexual before I met Jesus. Like that, that was a true thing about me. But when Christ came into my life, he helped me better understand what my sexuality was all about. And the gift it is and how he's teaching me how to guard it and make it precious, but also ex explore and understand the fullness of what it's supposed to be for me. I made money. Here's what I found. Oh, thank you, Siri. I made money before I knew Jesus. But when I came to know Jesus, now he redefines what that means. In other words, uh, I've been made righteous. See, think about this for a moment. If Jesus went to the cross and all my sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. That's not something that uh, I pray will happen. It's something that has happened. And so my hope is not in one day my sins will be forgiven. Get this. My hope is that my sins are forgiven. Let me try to understand this. If Jesus gave me his righteousness, my hope is not that one day I will be righteous. My hope is in the fact that I am righteous. In Hebrews chapter 11, it helps us understand hope this way. Now, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. Get this. Hope isn't a wish. When he comes into my life, he redefines hope. It's not a wish. It's not a dream. It's not an expectation. It's not even a desire. Hope in the gospel is confidence in the reality. I know it's kind of hard to grasp, but it's like me giving you the winning lotto numbers before you go buy the ticket. Like you're going now with hope that what you have is the winning number. It's like you're recording the game and uh, telling everybody, don't tell me the score. When we get back from dinner, I'm going to watch it. And somebody leaking it out at the bar at the restaurant who won the game. And you go back to watch the game, but you already have hope knowing who won the game. Hope in the kingdom of God is not in a dream or a wish. It's confidence in the promises of God that he will fulfill what he said he's going to do. That's hope in scripture. See, and here's what's crazy. He does promise that he's coming back. And my hope is not just in his return. My hope is also in here and now. Do you know that in scripture, there are nearly 9,000 promises that God makes to us as people? 9,000. And all the promises are yes in Jesus. And if I'm in Jesus, I have access to every promise of God for me. So hope is anchoring my confidence in God's promises that are certain for me and for the future. You got that? 
Okay. So why is this so important? Why is it so important for me to understand that? Well, because we're hope monsters. Like we can't help but hope. We hope about everything. We attach hope to all kinds of things we shouldn't hope for. Like when the person, when you go to MAPCO and you see all the people buying the lotto tickets, you know, and they walk out going, here's hoping. And you're like, no, that's wishing. That's not hoping because you're probably not going to win. That kind of hope, bring, it keeps us from being in a place of power. Let me try to explain this. See, let's first ask, do you know what you hope in? Where are the false places that you've put hope? So let's do a little test because it's, it's easy to find your hope. What are you afraid of? If you would grab what you're afraid of and just lift it up and look underneath it, you would see what you hope for. If you're afraid of failure, what your hope is, is that I'm never going to fail. I'm going to put my hope in failure. Or maybe what you're afraid of is that you're going to go broke. And so your hope is that I'll have enough money, that my hope is in money. Or that maybe you're afraid that you're going to get sick one day. And so your hope is, is that you're never going to get sick. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of or what brings you joy without you trying? Pull it up, look under it, and there's where you hope. And let me tell you, when we think about this, we have to be careful because when I put my hope in things that God has not called me to put hope in, they mess me up. Let me give an example. We said it a minute ago. I hope mom doesn't drink this holiday. You know, think about that. I'm going to put my hope and that my mom is not going to drink. Although she has drank every year that we've done the holidays. Every year we go and she's got that glass of wine going. And it's usually about, about five o'clock that things start turning kind of nasty. And then it starts turning ugly. And then we have to tolerate and we have to protect the kids because mom's getting a little crazy now. And every year we have the same hope that maybe this is the year that mom's not going to drink. That is such a weak place to put your hope because that kind of hope is going to disappoint you, discourage you. It's going to stab your heart with despair. Better yet is, I hope, look at the transition, I hope that Jesus will give me what I need if my mom drinks this year. Because there's a promise, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Wait a minute. Let's, can, we, can I read that again? So we're going into the holidays and we're like, my hope's not in my mom anymore. My hope is in a Jesus that has made me promises that I am confident he's going to fulfill when I walk into that situation. And what is he going to give me? That God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, 24-7, having all you need, how much? All you need so that you will abound in every good work. And what is the good work? Jesus is changing me because I have anchored my hope in him so that a changed me walks into that situation with my mom and I know what to do. Are you getting it? Can I give you another example? Let me try to give you another example. <clears throat> I hope that I make more money this year. That is such a great hope. I got to tell you, there is nothing wrong with desiring more money. There's nothing more, there's nothing wrong with want to make more this year than you made last year. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you're setting yourself up for pain and disaster and you're walking away from the power of the gospel if you put your hope in making more money. 
because here's a better way to think about it. I'm going to trust Jesus will give me everything I need. Why? Because he promises in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs. How many of them? All your needs according to the riches of his glory in, in Christ Jesus. Instead of putting my hope in making enough money this year, now I'm going to put hope in Jesus who have made me a promise that he's going to give me everything I need. And in that confidence, he's going to change me from being a man that's dependent upon how much I make. And now I'm dependent upon him. So whatever he gives me, I know he's given me what he wants to give me so that I accomplish what he wants me to accomplish. Oh, it's a game changer. I'm telling you. <clears throat> Can we do one more? This one's personal. All right, you ready? I hope my marriage gets better. Got to move the podium a little bit for that one. If you've been around Midtown long enough, you know that, man, that's, Renee and I, we have often had that prayer. Lord, just make our marriage better because marriage is hard. And Here's what's crazy is when I say, I hope my marriage gets better, I'm usually saying, I hope my spouse gets better and our marriage. And here's the crazy thing. You don't have the power to control another person unless you're holding them hostage. Like you can control, but even in that you can't control them. And if you believe you can control them, you're already in big trouble. All right. But so I have no control over whether or not my marriage is ever going to get better at all. And if I can unhinge my hope from my marriage getting better to something deeper, I trust Jesus to give me courage to fight for my marriage. Think about this. Instead of God, I hope that you'll make my marriage better to the Lord. I have hope in your promises that you're going to give me courage, strength, and power to fight for my marriage. Why? Because in Joshua 1, 9, he makes a promise. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will give you whatever. <laughs> the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you know how hard it is to be the person in a marriage that should get better, to be the first one to be vulnerable and say, we need help. And I, I want better things for us and I'm going to start with me. Because when I do that, here's what's happened. I have no control over you, but I can let Jesus change me. And when Jesus changes me, a changed me walks into our marriage, which will always change your marriage. Because that's the promise of God. Okay, so we know what hope is. Hope is not a wish, it's not an expectation, it's not a dream, it's not a desire. It's, it's anchoring our confidence in what is true and God's promises. We know why it's important because when I put my hope in false things that discourage me and beat me up, when I put them in God, it gives me strength and power. But how do we grow hope? And this is so good because there's so many ways, but we only have a few minutes and I'll have a few minutes to talk. I just want to give you my top two, okay? Um, I know there are a lot of disciplines about growing hope in our lives, but if you will do these two baby steps, I trust that during the holidays, the Lord is going to help you grow hope in your life. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childhood right up to the present time. I do not have to do anything more than to open up the newspaper to show you that the world is groaning. The whole world is groaning. 
from creation to nations, to battles, to racism, to divisions, to pain, to suffering. We live in a world that is groaning right now. Yes? Okay. Here comes the good part. Not only the world, but us. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We're in Christ. He's made us new. The old is gone. The new has come. So we are walking with Jesus. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Because we are in this hope that Jesus is coming again and he's going to make all things new. It gives me the freedom to groan. What? Mama taught me never to complain. I'm not talking about complaining. <clears throat> I'm talking about groaning. I'm talking about I have the freedom to be honest about my pain. See, here's the crazy thing about growing hope in your life. You don't ever grow hope if you never need it. If you don't acknowledge your own pain of existence, then when are you ever going to need hope? If you just cover over everything with the glaze of, I'm great. Everything's great. I'm fine. You don't need hope. It may be, if you're not honest with yourself, you probably don't have a prayer life. Because if you're not crying out to God for help, you may be living your life with your eyes closed. Or you've isolated yourself so much that you have no needs that only a God that is greater than you can meet those needs. But when you groan, when you say, I'm tired of pretending, I'm not going to pretend anymore. I'm tired of playing nice. I'm tired of putting on a face. I am actually going to be courageous enough to groan. Brene Brown, do y'all know who she is? So she's written a lot of great books. I think Daring Greatly is where she took the word courage. She took it back to its Latin origin and said, courage is actually living on the outside what is most true about you on the inside. And if you're honest with yourself, it's groaning because here's what I've discovered. Jesus is not interested in the fake you. If, Chris, if Christianity seems to be powerless to you, it's probably because you're trying to give Jesus this pretend you that you give everybody else. And he ain't interested in that guy or that person or that woman. He's interested in the real you and he's waiting for you to be interested in the real you, you too. <laughs> and trust me, we all have pain. We have pain and we groan from our sins. We groan because other people have sinned against us. We groan from life. I mean, life. So when I left here in September 10, I felt a call in my life to, uh, to how do I say it? There's a million people moving to this city in the next 10 years. And Jesus said, he wants me to take that personal. I'm like, good Lord. Like literally, good Lord. What do you mean? And so the Lord has been calling me to plant a church planning vision for this city that will reach them all. And I got to tell you, there's been two nights in the last two months that I've woken up in the middle of the night, uh, not being able to breathe very well, uh, knots in my stomach and getting out of bed at 3.30 in the morning and getting out my journal going, I am so afraid I can't do this. And me crying out to God and going, I think you got the wrong guy. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. I don't have the power. And, he, 
And here's what's crazy, is that groaning, that, that journey of being human. And that's what we are. Our life is hard. We're humans. That journey of being honest with Jesus, he goes, for I didn't give you a spirit of fear. Put it down. I've given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And I got you and I got this. Are you groaning? So believe it or not, what feeds our hope is our need for hope and groaning. The second thing, okay, we've got two minutes left. And I love this one. Romans chapter five, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we boast. This word boast is kalmahai. That's the Greek word. Isn't that fun to say? Kalmahai. Kalmahai. Sounds like a power drink, doesn't it? Kalmahai. I had my kalmahai today. And what this word means is just what you would think. It's, it is boasting. It is like over the top uh, trusting or celebrating something. So a few weeks ago, I took my grandkids to the zoo. Um, I didn't take them alone because I would never do that. But I had like some teammates with me to manage them. And uh, it's been a long time since I've been to the zoo. It's pretty, pretty uh, spectacular. You should go. But my grandson, who's six, said, let's go ride the soaring eagle. And I thought, sure, okay. So we go over to the Soaring Eagle and it's a chair. The guy goes, sit up here and we sit up there. I don't even know what it is. He goes, you need to give me your hat. And I said, why? And he goes, because it's gonna blow off. And I said, why? And he says, ready, go. And the zip line shoots you backwards up into the trees. Like it's a little intimidating where you're over the giraffes and the rhinos and when you think it's going to stop, it doesn't stop. It just keeps on. Have any of y'all ridden this ride? This illustration is really not working the way I planned it, all right? <laughs> but when we thought it was going to stop and it just kept going, I looked over at my grandson and he's got a big old grin on his face and he's looking at me and we both at the same time go, ah! That's boasting. Because in that moment, we were reveling in the glory of we're above the trees and we're taller than rhinos. Kalmahai. Listen to the verse. He says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Think about that. Hope eradicates the shame for my life because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope allows me to see the love of my Father that's being poured into my heart. So um, two things, groan and boast. They're both pretty loud. When we left the LSU game, which they beat the Gators, by the way. I don't, wow, LSU fans. Uh, that was when the fun just began because we and 100,000 other people had to leave the stadium now and we're walking down these big ramps, you know? And as I told you earlier, like one or two of them have been drinking. Like, uh, and so you're, you're squeezed in like a sea of purple and gold and because they're all so happy because they beat Florida and maybe because they've had a beer or two, you know? And they have these cheers as you're going down. So you're kind of caught up in the crowd and they have these cheers, which I can't do for you because we're in church and we don't get that honest in church, all right? 
But the stuff they're saying, you're like, oh my. Like, but they're all boasting and glorying in their victory to such a degree that you, it's obnoxious, it's so loud. We are putting our eyes on the manger because the manger led to the cross. The cross led to the resurrection. The resurrection led to the ascension. And all those things led to he's coming back for me. And my hope is not a wish. It is a certainty that he's coming back for me because he's poured his love out into my heart. And so I sing and I boast as if the victory is already mine. I am like the procession leaving the stadium when the game has not even yet begun and we are shouting glory, glory, glory for he has made me his own. He has given me thousands of promises to anchor myself in so that my hope sustains me in a broken world so that I can groan and at the, at the same time rejoice and be met by my Jesus. That's why Paul said, be ready in season and out because if you live in that kind of hope, the world is going to poke its head in and go, please explain that to me. Lord, we pray that we could take some of the things that you're giving us right now. I don't know the story of everyone in this room. I know that, <clears throat> Lord, we're all humans. And so we all have places in our life where we've let hope go sideways and hijack us and hurt us. Maybe this morning, Lord, your Holy Spirit would let us know what hope is now. Um, a confident certainty in your promises that, Lord, we'd see why it's so important that hope in the right place gives us power and strength and that we would know how to do that by being those that are honest and grown but also boast that your love is being poured out in our hearts and you're coming back for us. So would that stir in us, Lord, and give us strength right now to, to do that in our time of worship. In Christ's name, amen.